0: Welcome to Wind-Up Weekly.
1: I'm Matthew Ghosn.
0: And I'm Katie Canfield.
1: And we're here to share the week's news in wine.
0: This week on Wind-Up Weekly. Bordeaux Chateau released their 2019s with prices falling dramatically.
1: The French government support wineries as they turn wine into hand gel and sanitizers.
0: Top Australian wines join La Place de Bordeaux.
1: Torres hit carbon emissions targets a year early.
0: Two new AVAs are introduced in the Willamette Valley.
1: And a slight twist on our wine of the week as we present our wineries of the week.
0: It's been a bit of a sad week here in the US in light of the death of George Floyd. Protesters here in the States have taken to the streets and social media to call for racial justice and a stop to police brutality, which has been echoed in other parts of the world as well. In the wine industry, top influencers such as wine and travel writer and speaker Julia Coney have called out major wine brands and companies for not doing their part to promote inclusivity of black wine professionals. This call to action for wine businesses, PR professionals, etc. to make a targeted effort to seek out and promote those individuals is supported by Coney's newly established platform Black Wine Professionals, which will highlight the work of black wine producers, growers, sommeliers, and more. You can follow that platform on Instagram, at Black Wine Professionals. People have responded. In fact, Black-owned wineries have received support in the last couple of weeks, including Theodora Lee of Theapolis Vineyards in Mendocina County, California, who is one of our speakers at the upcoming Women in Wine webinar series, at Batonage Forum, that I'm helping organize. It kicks off next week, so we will include some more details in the description section of the pod, as well as Phil Long. President of the Association of African American Vintners and owner of Longevity Wines in Livermore, California, which became a nationally distributed brand earlier this year after teaming up with Franzia family's Bronco Wine Company, one of the ten largest U.S. wine producers. The question, of course, is whether this targeted support will last.
1: Yes, there's certainly been a lot of big organizations who have remained quiet about racism in the states for quite a while, have now suddenly decided that they're um, in support of um, all these protests for example the NFL has done a big U-turn and um, actually supported some of the um, black players uh, protesting against racism. And I was a little bit amused by a a tweet that W. Blake Gray, a wine writer based in San Francisco, uh, sent out this week, critiquing Gallo's support for um, Black Lives Matter and all these protests, asking them if there were any black sales reps he could interview for a piece he was doing on uh, sales reps in the States.
0: Well, we'll have to check in with Blake and see if Gallo responded to his request.
1: Meanwhile, also here in uh, California, tasting rooms uh, reopened this weekend, particularly in Napa, and I think in Sonoma, 30 tasting rooms reopened, so it's a slow reopening, and going against the grain a little bit because Governor Gavin Newsom asked them to wait another week, but uh, Napa Valley Vintners sent out an email saying they're going to do it this weekend because they need the support and they need the revenue uh, to come in. So I'm not sure how many people actually ever visited the tasting rooms this weekend. But and they're all maintaining social distancing, of course. So hopefully it's all safe and they can get going again in a safe, gradual manner. Just to add to kind of the the confusion that's going on right now we were driving along highway 101 yesterday and we saw a lot of smoke uh, rising from uh, not, not far from the highway and it turned out to be just behind our favorite uh, bar ernie's but it's quite a big fire and it's potentially the start of wildfire season already because it's been really really windy this weekend and so hopefully um, everything's under control
0: and as usual we'll comment on some of the webinars uh, we tuned into this week Uh, There was one, uh, Ted Lemon and David Hirsch, just a conversation between the two pioneers of Pinot Noir and biodynamics in the extreme Sonoma Coast. So it was really a treat to hear them trade stories about how times have changed since the 80s. Um, the Sonoma Coast has, is obviously a very different place nowadays.
1: David Hirsch is is a little uh, kooky, but a very interesting and passionate way. And he kept talking about when he bought the property um 40 years ago, how he wanted to heal the land. And that's a word he used a lot, healing. Um, because when he bought that property, there'd been a lot of logging, which had really uh, damaged the land. So he's really about healing it and looking towards the future. And he's obviously done a great job.
0: We also tuned into a webinar that was hosted specifically for the UK audience uh, with Bilcar Samon.
1: Yes, organized by the Australian champagne writer Tyson Steltzer. The keen listener will remember that I attended a tasting, virtual tasting, a few weeks ago at 3 a.m. in the morning because it was being hosted Sydney time. That was with Charles Isaac. But because it have been so popular, Tyler decided to have a more UK-friendly time, which actually suited us, because it's 8pm UK uh, UK time and 12pm our time. So we're able to open some champagne, the Brut Reserve and the Rosé, and sit there and listen to Mathieu uh, Roland Bilcar of the family uh, talk about his winery and everything they're doing there. And it is one of our favourite champagne producers. It's very pleasant to sit outside and taste those wines virtually with him.
0: Yes, and he's the CEO of the company uh, it was really interesting to kind of walk through all of I mean of many vintages uh, kind of the whole history of the champagne house and how it's changed and and what really makes them unique
1: yeah his common theme was that they're always improving they're happy with what they're doing but they always want to be better
0: and now on with the news <coughs> Every year sees speculation about Bordeaux's en premier system when the prices for the latest vintage are announced and the wines offered to potential investors. What will the prices be? Will they be justified? Will the market hold up or will it finally slump, as has been predicted for many years? This year, of course, there has been an unexpected twist as the coronavirus forced the cancellation of the en premier tastings, which sees journalists and brokers attend from all around the world. Not being able to sell or have the wines reviewed through tastings has turned the traditional en premier system upside down. How can journalists rank the wines if they haven't tasted them? How could Chateau decide on the price of their wine if no overall consensus has been formed? The coronavirus has also created an economically challenging environment in which selling top Bordeaux is going to be difficult. So the release of the 2019s has been awkward, but it's also extremely interesting to see how producers have navigated the waters. This week saw several top Chateau announce the pricing for their 2019, and most, though not all, were down on 2018. Chateau Pomer, the Margot third growth, was released 31% lower than 2018, at 161 euros a bottle, ex négociant. Saint Estef's second growth cause d'Estornal is twenty four percent lower. First growth Lafitte's pricing is sixteen percent lower than twenty eighteen, even though volume is down fifty percent. However, Pomerol producer Chateau Lefleur controversially maintained its pricing across the two vintages at 542 euros a bottle. The lower prices echo those of 2008, after the financial crash, and commentators at the time predicted, or hoped, that this would lead to a period of more sensible on-premier pricing. However, the exceptional 2009 and 2010 vintages meant that the trend reverted to ever higher pricing. Will we see continued lower prices in future on premier releases, or will it revert back to normal? <coughs>
1: And continuing on from this Bordeaux theme, La Place de Bordeaux is a term historically used to describe how most Bordeaux wines are sold. A chateau sells their wine to a broker, who sells it to a negociant or merchant, who then sells it onto the market, either domestically or abroad. It sounds cumbersome, but it takes a lot of pressure off the producer to sell the wine, and the negociant can use their extensive international network to sell the wines in different markets around the world. In recent years, international producers have joined La Place de Bordeaux to distribute their wines without having to invest in heavy marketing campaigns for varied markets. And this week it's announced that two classic Australian wines are to be sold through La Place. Wynn's John Riddock Cabernet Sauvignon from Cunawara and Jim Barry's the Armagh Shiraz from Clare Valley. The wines will be released on the market in September. And joining the prestigious La Place de Bordeaux, has been viewed as recognition of Australia's status in the world of fine wine, as well as presenting the opportunity to open up to new markets.
0: Well, for me, and I think for many others, historically La Place de Bordeaux means only Bordeaux producers. So it's very interesting why non-Bordeaux producers are joining it. I mean, to me, really, when you just said it just now, it sounds like the three-tier system and here in the US, which we've been trying to get out of for years.
1: It does. When I was, re- when I was researching this, I thought the same thing. Uh, the difference is that this is um, a kind of a self-regulating system. It's not official. Whereas in the US, you're working with the government and bureaucracy. So um, there is that difference. and But also that this has a global network. So these Negotion have con- contacts all around the world, which means when one market goes flat, they have contacts in another market. they can really work. So it does actually um, benefit Bordeaux producers and that's why international producers like these two Australian ones, there's also some here in California like Opus One and Joseph Phelps who are being distributed around the world by Laplace. So it's obviously a beneficial system that they feel will work for them.
0: The French government this week announced further aid for the wine industry delivering an extra 30 million euros on top of the 140 million euros promised in May. The initial grant was for crisis distillation, but the new extra money is aimed at avoiding excessive distillation. Instead, 15 million euros will be used to help store 2 million hectoliters of surplus wine as producers had been critical of the previous lack of alternatives to distillation. However, wine not intended for aging may end up being distilled, and the government has set aside an additional 5 million euros towards the crisis distillation program, and distilleries will also receive 10 million euros. On top of this financial aid, the French government has exempted small businesses from social security contributions, which it has now extended to all companies in the wine sector, regardless of their size. Wine that is distilled still has a use, particularly for medical purposes to help make room for the 2020 vintage, 33 distilleries across France have been authorized to collect 2 million hectoliters of unsold wine to transform into ethanol and hand sanitizer. This project will be funded by the EU, and wineries have until June 19th to apply for the scheme. AOC wine will be sold for 78 euros per hectoliter, while non-AOC wines will be sold for 58 euros a hectoliter. Spain and Italy are likely to follow suit.
1: As we have reported on the pod before, one of the key champions leading the fight against climate change is Miguel Torres, one of Spain's most visionary winemakers. The Torres winery has set itself the goal of cutting their per-bottle carbon emissions by 30% by 2021, compared to 2008, a target they announced this week that they had achieved a year early. And they've now set a new target to reduce the carbon emissions by 55% by 2030. And Torres have reduced their emissions by working with suppliers who have a low carbon footprint. They've also used renewable energy and sustainable transport. 80% of their vehicles are either hybrid or electric. And they're also researching the use of electric tractors in the vineyard. And they've also introduced lightweight bottles. At their winery in Penedes, they use a biomass boiler, which has cut gas consumption by 95%. And furthermore, Torres also own a winery in Chile, and in 2019, they began a reforestation project on a 6,000 hectare estate in Patagonia, which will capture 10,000 tons of carbon dioxide each year.
0: That's the part of this project that really piques my interest, is the reforestation and the planting of trees, because with that, you actually become carbon negative and you can start to balance, you know, all of those carbon emissions that you're making in the winery.
1: Right. It's not just about uh, reducing those carbon emissions, it's also about trapping carbon dioxide as well. So they're working on both sides of that um, aim.
0: Oregon continues to unveil new ABAs with another two announced in Willamette Valley called Tualatin Hills and Laurelwood District. Tualatin Hills is the larger of the two, covering 58,000 hectares to the north of Willamette Valley, while Laurelwood District is 13,500 hectares in size and lies within the existing Shalahem Mountains AVA. This means that there are now nine AVA's within the Willamette Valley itself. Both AVA's are characterized by Laurelwood soils, distinct from the volcanic and marine sedimentary soils found elsewhere in Willamette Valley. Although Laurelwood AVA has older and more consistent soils than Tualatin Hills, where elevation is also an important distinguishing factor, ranging from 60 meters to 300 meters.
1: There are so many AVA's in Oregon, and they just keep popping up every year. I feel like um, the US is obsessed with new AVA's to really emphasize the the terroir and the regionality of their wine areas, which I think is important, but it can get quite confusing.
0: Well, just look at the case of Sonoma County, Sonoma Valley, and all of the sub-AVAs within those.
1: And North Sonoma and Sonoma Coast, and all controversial and everyone disagrees with um, what they look like and what they should be, makes the French look uh, quite straightforward. But the question is, is this useful for the consumer? (laughs)
0: So now instead of our Wine of the Week, we have our Wineries of the Week. And going back to our conversation back in the Week in Wine, uh, we wanted to highlight some of the Black-owned wineries uh, that we know and love, and perhaps introduce some new ones to you and provide resources for any of our listeners who want to go and support those entities. So number one on the list is Theopolis Vineyards, uh, owned, founded by Theodora Lee, who is a trial lawyer and senior partner at labor and employment law firm Littler. And she is the petite Syrah queen making wines in the Yorkville highlands of Mendocino County. Number two is McBride Sisters, who are owned and operated by two sisters who grew up separately and they found each other in 1999 and they're now the largest african-american owned wine company in the u.s crafting a range of wines from new zealand and california's central coast
1: and then the third winery we'd like to recommend is brown estate which is in napa and it's actually napa's first black owned estate winery and um, they bought an abandoned property in the 1980s and then the children started to make wine from that property in the 1990s, mid-90s. And they're mostly known for Zinfandel and zin based blends. They have a wine called Chaos Theory, which is a lot of fun, as fun as the name sounds. And they also have a tasting room in downtown Napa, and I know it's very popular with visitors uh, coming to Napa to go and taste there. So we will link some resources um, on our Instagram account if any of our listeners want to check out these wineries and others and support the black community within the wine industry.
0: Cheers to that. So that's it for Wind Up Weekly this week. I'm Katie Canfield. I'm Matthew Gorn. Join us next week for another Wind Up. And in the meantime, we ask that you please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That helps other listeners searching for the news in wine to find us.
1: Especially if the reviews are positive.
0: That's right. See you next week.
1: Cheerio!